0: I found it very fitting this evening to uh, experience the uh, Anagarika, Rajiv, you know, taking this step, uh, Anagarika, one who has no home, who leaves the home life. Mm. And the understanding is on a conventional level, this is a commitment try for a year you look at it in terms of time but in terms of the occasion you stop thinking about time you know how long for it's really a, a moment of committing a moment when your heart commits to homeless relinquishment that's a particular piece of territory heart territory that you enter into. Yeah. If you do it for one day, <laughs> you know, if you do it for an hour, that, that, moving into that particular, you know. This life is not about possessions and territory and acquisition and career and progress and succeeding and no it's not what this life is about. And so an agarika is like is actually manifesting for others to see, you know, for themselves to see and recognize, hey, remember what we're doing, what I'm, what I'm doing. Because the mind always wants to float up to out into future possibilities this, that, this, that, you know getting on with this, passing the time spend a year here, do that and go somewhere else, and you know all these are bad, but just where is that world? that endlessly ongoing world what is it? you know, dream uh, imagination searching for something but never in the place where you can actually find it. It's a place of search or look for or escape from even. It's not the place of realization. That's a different place in the heart. You see what I mean? There the different places in the in the heart in the chitta, the place where you stop and open and realize, oh, with such a such the word meaning being present or reality. It's generally translated as truth, but it's not intellectual truth like two and two equals four. It's a place of presence where you, instead of going into this virtual world that we can create, in fact, we can barely ever stop creating, mind spins out. You drop into that. What's happening now? And you go straight to the heart, the chitta, awareness. What do you want to call that? <clears throat> Anagārika. Mm-hmm. So you can be, you know, in a way, you can do this in your in your mind or your heart. You do a retreat. Maybe people do retreat in a way. They become anagārika. We try, yes, put it all aside, descend, because this is the place in the heart where you're doing realizations and meeting, rather than alibis, (laughs) procrastinations, (laughs) possibilities. (laughs) You're just actually standing still and meeting what arises in the heart, and this is a powerful place. Uh, to be at uh, and to, to keep returning to it because, of course, you know, we may all be an agarica in a way, but you notice know, after a while the mind starts to drift off into a lot of garrikas actually, <laughs> a lot of places to go to and escape to, and you know, and uh, not have to meet too much discomfort or unresolved or awkward stuff you know but this is really the uh, the nitty gritty of realisation is to meet at that place where you've made your stand to realise and to meet that which arises no escape no options, no excuses no judgments, no criticisms no success, no failure putting all that aside and it's challenging some. and yet this is the place where the chitta heart-mind begins to stir and open and bring forth potentials that often on a personal level we don't think we have because the personalities operate at a different level personalities are social Conditioned experiences of manners and politeness and getting things done and working for a living and this is you know getting some money and getting a place to live and meeting people and da 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 not evil but that's that level yeah you know? and it's very much a level of organising and pushing things along from this to that shaping things up it's not a place where you realise. It's a place where you organize <laughs> and plan and invent. It's a different territory. And, uh, you know, the territory of, so of course there is that, and that has to be understood and managed. We in some way, we are ordinary people, doing things that people do. You know? You know? Working, planning, days of the week and so forth. And yet that's not, that's not, that's not the supreme. That's not considered the most important thing. That level exists, but there's this other level. In a way you kind of are beginning to contemplate the world of the person as she or he arises in your awareness, in your mind images of yourself, your impressions of yourself, your f- regrets about yourself, your wishes to people don't see parts of you you know, not so good and the habits and foibles and cranky obsessions and interesting bits you' meeting all that <laughs> because that's, what, that's what's happening. And in that, <laughs> the beauty of this amazingly humble practice in some ways is in that if you handle it rightly, the doors open <laughs> and you see through the, the uh, this anxieties of the person. The person is anxious we're trying to make things work. Mm. Insecure, mm. nervous about how they're seen, how well they're doing, how other people see them, uncertain about their past and their future, a little bit bashful about the past, yeah. not entirely you know how we are with other people. And so there's this kind of trembly quality to it. You, don't, you don't want to place, you don't want to build a home there because there isn't one. It's tremble. <laughs> you have to put good energy through that, make it flow. But the energy comes not from the person, but from somewhere deeper. Or fearless, truthful, real and what the citta brings forth from a place of realization. Mm. Qualities of compassion, goodwill, discernment, understanding, patience, resilience. Not something we've learned to our heads from reading books, but, but spontaneously. Where do you think the Buddha got his Buddhism from? Yeah. He studied in a Buddhist university. Went to a course to learn how to be mindful. And then thought, hey, this is a good deal, I could bring this out, you know. No, he just basically <laughs> he realized the, the uh, Four Noble Truths, realized the, this irresolute Nature of the person, dukkha. always running on, always running on, never complete, never satisfied, never stable. Always running on this to that, to this to that, this to that. Yeah, restless. Mm. On fire with becoming, wanting to become something this, wanting to become that never able to finally make it and instead of following those habits deeply attending to the nature of these outflows these powerful reflex tendencies to distract, to plan, to fantasize, to imagine you know, to form opinions about yourself and others mm create a future, the past, the person and other people is reflexes. What yeah, you know, and see actually directly what happens, feeling, perception, mental formations, form, consciousness. Mm-hmm. And bubbling up. Even more directly, you know the citta producing these what are called aggregates in order to cope with this manifest sensory world trying to organize into something you can manage and the power of the Buddha's intention and attention to penetrate to the citta Heart, mind, the awareness that's doing that and just say, enough. 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 And ceasing. Because it doesn't work. You know, the the really tough truth is it? This sangsara doesn't work. You can push it as far as, as, far as you can. You can run a, run a thousand miles with it and it doesn't get to where it's supposed to get you to. <laughs> to that feeling of fruition and fulfillment and happiness that is just around the corner. The corner keeps, keeps bending, keeps turning. So that stopping, going forth—a very beautiful gesture, you know. This here uh, man in his prime of his life, you know, doing this. Plenty of opportunities, plenty of possibilities. You know, healthy, educated, so forth. Doesn't need to be here doing this, and then bowing, bowing to the Buddha, bowing to the teachers, bowing to the bhikkhus, bowing to the nuns, just bowing, 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 beautifully, that sense of, I relinquish. Something, again, we can just do as a gesture, but really the feeling of, oh, you know, give it up. And uh, and having something we can give up to. So it's not just a kind of an idea. I surrender to the will of God, which is perhaps a beautiful idea, but I don't quite know where he is, you know. And what do you Where you surrender into community, you know very well where it is. It's the people who are giving you the chores in the morning. (laughs) The people who are saying, no you can't go and do that, you've got to do this instead. (laughs) The people you're living with and working with and (laughs) conforming to, you know, a pattern. Okay, I'll do that. It's a very beautiful, that surrender. Voluntary, you don't have to. Mm. This is this, this gesture, that, where it takes you to. and To bear in mind, you know, it's not something that's specifically monastic, just this monastic situation offers a very clear, distinct, you know, obvious theater for it. You can really do it and live it. And nobody really wants you to get into this kind of succeeding, being somebody, being better than, competing. You want to get rid of all that stuff. (laughs) Trying to be a person, a successful person. You don't want to have successful, not here to be a successful person. and uh, whereas in the world in general, that's, that's the theme, you yeah. yeah, People expect you to, well, you have kids, what's wrong with you? Nothing wrong with you. You got married? No. What's wrong with you? Job? Got a good job? No? What's wrong with you? Nothing wrong with me. <laughs> you know, you want to go out tonight? No, not really. What's wrong with you? In a bad state? No. Just you want to go out to the show? No, not especially. Have something to eat? No. How about a drink or two? Just a quick beer, no things. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Nothing wrong with me. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't to do those things. What do you have to do that for? <laughs> That's why the question. You know, who we don't see or realize the compulsion they're living in because when everybody's doing it, it seems it's called normal. Normal is the group hypnosis, normal is the group compulsion, normal is the state of the the programmed, which is, you know, fun, succeed, well, get yeah, up, good partner, a you know, couple of kids, in a house, a job, succeed, progress, money, retire. Happy grandchildren, sitting in the armchair, looking out the window, sunshine. (laughs) And yet, actually, what what do you get, really? (laughs) You know... (laughs) It's still the, the myth. Mm. it's a success I went to visit my elder brother the other day, yesterday actually yesterday and he has two degenerative diseases incurable one of the body one of the mind and he was a success Successful, good good guy. Did the right things, worked hard, living, money, house, nice wife, three lovely girls, success. Yeah. Yeah, living on his own, and uh, losing it you know, losing capacity, body and mind going. Wife died of cancer. She was 62. Okay. Not someone of evil disposition who's had an agonizing experience, just this is... probably, you know, average, something like that's going to happen. You know. not not tragic and yet you know what's your life been about? Very poignant really just to see the 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 amount of energy and effort that uh, a person makes into making a living and getting by and doing these things and it just runs through the fingers like sand. What are you left with? Memories. Good people. Believing in the wrong mythology, never really investigating. Because we're just always living at the level of the person. The person is generated by social forces. It's a kind of formation in the mind. It's chattering in the mind. It's this chatty formation in the mind that's planning and thinking and comparing and liking this and going there and believes you know believes in all that identity. Um, mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. There's a compulsion to it. You know, so when you start to even question it, people feel a bit like you're being a bit miserable, aren't you? You know? That, that's just the real world, that's the real world. You go outside, there's buildings, there's a place called Britain, what they call it now, I think they're calling it England now, Britain, England, United Kingdom, you never quite figure out why it has three names to it, <laughs> we're in West Sussex, and it's this, and it's all very solid and real, and there has got Prime Minister and a Queen, and there it is, you know, solid, It you start to, <laughs> that's the real world, you know. and then you, well, I, I don't see any west I just see trees. Uh, I don't see any England, I just see trees and rain and sun and... sunshine and light and day. People believe in this thing. Some kind of entity. It's got boundaries around it. Here we are. The economy. Believe in the economy. You've got to have an economy. Make a living. Economy. If the economy kills you, it's good for you. There's this kind of uh, senator in Texas when they're having the big COVID um, pandemic sweeping America. And he was, so people say, well, you know, you should stay home, stay home, stay home, because it's, you know, it's a pandemic. And he was saying, no, no. Get out and work. Because, you know, maybe you die, but you've got to make a living. That's the most important thing. You've got to keep the economy going. Even if it kills you. Because <laughs> anything else is liberal thought or communist or something, or unpatriotic. Un- unpatriotic to wear a mask. <laughs> Just think, what the? Anything that goes against. Goes against the the flow of money making (laughs) is, (laughs) and, and blind obedience to the economic norm is considered crazy and unpatriotic if it kills you. Wow. You know? And so you get these kind of stuck experiences with nationality and so on. Britain is a great example because everybody's an immigrant. You know, first it was the Celts, then the Anglo Saxons, then the Norman, then the Danes came over. They they took over for a while. And then the Norman French came over. They took over for a while. And then the Scots came down, took over. The Welsh, lots of the kings were German. We haven't had an English king since for eight hundred years, nine hundred years. It just, <laughs> it's just immigrant, immigrant, immigrant. And yet you can say, we're British. (laughs) We don't want those foreigners here. (laughs) We're all, we're all all French, Danish, Germans, mixed together. (laughs) It's kind of gloop. And you can still get some kind of compulsive national national identity out of it. Because that's something to hold on to, you know. And compare and belong to these tremendous uh, urges that people have to make the personal realm the sensory realm the social realm something solid convincing successful progressive better happy fortunate and it isn't is it <laughs> you know you look in the news it's constantly upheaving and right, you know, people getting angry with each other and things, disasters going on, and politicians slagging each other off, and, you know, it's constantly discontented and unsatisfactory. Yeah, And that's not some fluke. There's something peculiar about this island. It's just that's, that's the nature of the mind. It's telling you, this is what happens when you believe in the fantasies. This is where it takes you to. And the unsatisfactory experience, you blame on somebody else. You blame it on the government, you blame it on the weather, you blame it on the EU, you blame it on the Chinese, you blame it on well, somebody, you can blame it on your father, why not him, yeah? Oh, mother, give her a, yeah, blame her as well. Um, anybody would do. <laughs> Northerners blame the Southerners, Southerners blame the Northerners, the Welsh hate the English, the English fear the Scots, the Scots despise the Irish, the Irish, <laughs> and so on and so on. One big happy family. <laughs> Why is this? Because it's unsatisfactory and we don't want to meet that, so we have to blame somebody for it. <laughs> or of course blame yourself for it. You stupid, ignorant idiot, how did you, you know, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. No, this is just the person caught up in trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. <laughs> trying to make something perfect, happy that isn't. Now you say that sounds really miserable. It does sound miserable, doesn't it? But then that dropping, you can see through it. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's the one thing. And how do you do that? Now, as I say, the Buddha didn't, didn't go to university to to learn Buddhism. He didn't know about all these factors and indriyas and so on. But he did, he did know about presence. But he did know about Meeting the push and the pressure of his own mind, the fears, the anxieties, the craving, and he did know about spinning out fantasies. He lived ordinary world, fantasy life, you know, different palaces to live in, kingdom or whatever it was. And he said, "But I do not see escape." in this, from aging, sickness, death, suffering and he looked at his wife it's the same for her, I can't help her he look, looked at his son I brought him into the world it's the same for him, I can't help him what kind of person am I? you know, when people are most dear to me, I can't help them poignant so that sense of for the welfare if I can find the deathless I can bring it back which he did now in the spiritual life and the spiritual quest at that time you, know, you have these teachers we went with various teachers and most of them would doing things, you know, like uh, basically uh, believing in and moving into different territories, you could say. And the favorite one was the immaterial. This is material world and the social world, material world, get out. So you go to the immaterial. So these qualities such as um, infinite space or measureless space, measureless consciousness, the sphere of nothing, the sphere of neither perception or non-perception, and uh, you could do this. And what you did to the sensory realm was you repressed it, so you got a massive split between the, the sensory physical manifestation, which you pushed down with austerities, and you went. You tr- basically dissociated <laughs> into, into these other realms where there's no uh, form. formless realms so you could could do that like a kind of trance you you could do that it took some doing, yogic power to suppress and channel into these formless mind states mind mental realms he did that the Buddha did that he could do it very well apparently but then you return come out of that and you come back to the problem of the person and the body and sense contact mm. and fear and pain and hunger and longing and loneliness mm. Mm. and meet it meet it It's not easy, so the, however you understand these various different stories that are there in the, in the suttas about the Buddha's awakening, there seem to be sometimes on his own and he put aside this asceticism, mortification, and he put aside, going to the immaterial. So in between the sensory realm and the immaterial realm, you have something called the fine material. The rupa, rupa loka, which is a realm of where you're really feeling the energies of the heart. It's, uh, it's not immaterial, but it's not material. And so you can feel the movement of the heart. You can feel the sense of surging, sinking, agitating. You can read the heart's realities, beneath the script of the personality, beneath the narrative of the personality, the chattering on and the things they're absorbed into, you meet the realities of the heart, the uncertainty, the passion, and so forth. And also a tremendous urge for truth. which the heart has, to be real, to to find reality. So it's a mixed bag, that realm. The Buddha placed his faith on the, the search for reality. Touching the earth is the mudra, the sense of right this here, this earth here. And you can do interpretations of what you, what that means to you. But for me, it pretty much means down here, here where we are, not moving, earth, ground. It said this is called, still you have the Buddha images, still you see them doing that. It's a very powerful piece of Buddhist iconography. It's called the um, earth touching mudra, or sometimes the mudra that repels Mara. It stands against the flood of Mara which is, you can interpret, read it out, the kind of cascade. And the Buddha talked about the host of Mara being boredom, lethargy, craving, negativity, passion, sense, desire, regret, guilt, the whole lot. And he's standing against that. And to make that possible. So in a way, you know, the veneer of the person is just taken away and you see the underlying energies there and also a deeper reality that we all have that often we don't honor is our, our wish for truth for joy for love for wisdom for you know direct Purification, you could say. But not on an ideological level. It's not I've got to adopt a lot of behaviours and beliefs to make myself feel pure. No, there's, an, there's a purity that we kind of recognise that we keep drifting away from, an honesty, a fundamental honesty of being, fearless, and it's bright. So the Buddha's resting in that, gaining his strength from that. Do you know that in yourself? Do you challenge your thinking? Even your thinking about yourself? Do you challenge what you think about yourself? Do you think it's really true? Do you you, you question the kind of mumbling, dreary statements you make about yourself or your life? or the chit-chat, Do you, not that you should just question it. What's that about? Where's it coming from? It's, it's restless, uncertain, searching for comfort, escape. So that's to be meet that with a mind of firmness and compassion, you could say like, enough now, you're fine, just stop running away from yourself no exit this is, this. of course the world in general is running away all the time I and mean, we look, you know, into appearances of permanence permanent buildings, permanent economy, permanent nation you know, permanent social structure. Well, (laughs) no. They're held together by a lot of compulsive forces trying to make them permanent, but they're continually cracking up. They have police and laws and government policies trying to hold it all together, and it still keeps cracking up. (laughs) These nations, we call them, I mean, like, Italy's only been a nation for 140 years, something like that. Germany about 130 years. Yugoslavia was a solid nation that blew up. USSR that was solid that blew up. You know, India and Pakistan ripped themselves apart to pieces. You know, countries are just morphing and shifting all the time. Their boundaries, and they're still trying to be held held into something permanent and we kind of still believe in that as being, this is where we live. But you don't. You live with this, you live in your karma. Live in your, you have to live in the territory of your passions and fears, and your truthfulness, and your your citta, that's where you live. Look after that. Now the, the engine of it comes down to very, often comes down to a very simple factor that the Buddha almost began his you know, meditation with. It's called deep attention. Yonisoma sikara Just attending deeply to this manifest well I'm not saying it's absolutely true but that's what happens we see sights we we feel things that's kind of what occurs and instead of just skimming along on it and building things out of it you know, it's being created you know? and the main leader of it is thought certainly welling up from certain emotional tendencies and becoming and reflexes but the real thing that gives it its um, specific focus is thought. We think ourselves, we think about it, we think about a lot of things. It's flickering. We chat a lot to ourselves in our heads, thinking. And then we try to create realities out of thinking. What do you believe in? What's your belief? Is the world finite or infinite? What happens when you die? What's the nature of God? Is there truth? Is there truth or is it all an illusion? So you're trying to think. Think, come on, think something. (laughs) To get it the big plan, the cosmos, let me know the cosmos, think it. And what does it do? It creates this amazing, lustrous world of thought and ideas that we can feel quite entranced by, some of the really quite attractive and interesting, lustrous world of thought. And it's just a cloud, glowing cloud. I uh, mean something now you don't have to even take issue with it, any of that. If you want to believe something, go ahead and believe it. You want to. But I suggest just bring your thinking process back to how's this affecting me? This idea, this thought. Do I like it? Am I fascinated by it? Does it make me feel excited? Does it satisfy me? Mm? Just bring yourself back to what that thought, that line of thought is doing to you, to your heart. Mm? If you don't know where that is, sit for a while, find where your body is, feel that, that you know, feel where your body is, is internally, and you'll enter the realm of this heart-mind, citta. How then does a thought, an idea strike me? Somebody says, Oh, you know, we're, being, we're having hot chocolate drinks today. How does that suit you? Oh, yeah. Somebody says, Oh no, we run out of porridge, it's going to be lukewarm rice soup for breakfast tomorrow. How does that suit you? How about, Ajahn's felt we're getting a bit slacky. He's cancelled breakfast altogether. How does that sort of strike you? <laughs> yeah, these are obvious ones, aren't they? But the ones that really strike you are the ones you mutter to yourself. You know, oh, I didn't see this. How, but how do they strike you? What are they doing? Sometimes they're just. Sometimes they're just agitating. They're just there to Keep you busy, keep you from entering into the openness of heart. Keep padding, keep padding, like an endless chat show that's just there to fill the space with nothing in it. Yeah? Oh, what is it that knows that? Silence. What is it that knows that without feeling bad about it, not complaining or criticizing, but just knowing that that's that? Where's that? How's that? Can you? There's that. There's that dropping. You're using your thinking process to investigate or the nature of thought. You hold it still and you place it. how does this feel? how's it feel to be that to be thinking that so instead of letting it cascade and create a whole universe you draw it back right to the heart how's it feeling and do you need it do you need that thought or is needed and sometimes what's needed is just rest stop Touch the ground. Don't need that. But we imagine we do until you touch that ground. This is why this going forth and this cultivation is an act of faith. You don't know until you touch it. And to touch it you have to challenge your thoughts, your opinions, your convictions, your belief in yourself. Your belief in being a person, a historical entity. Your belief in having a belief. And the right. How does it feel? Stressful. That's it. You got it. And, do you need it? No. Good. You're getting the Four Noble Truths. And then just do it for a minute. It's like, go forth for a minute. <laughs> go forth for a minute. And then when the next passionate belief or conviction or... just go forth for, for ten seconds. Do you need that? Where's it going to go? Yep. Not going anywhere that desperately necessary. Pass on. Let it pass. All things pass. So we're going forth from compulsion. And this is really the essence of it. Not going forth from anything really. not Not even relinquishing or The personality, but just not being compulsive about it. You know, this is just the stuff. Personality is the clothes you wear. It's okay. You want you want to build a whole thing out of it, but it's okay. Everybody's got one, like the clothes. Don't want to make your life about that or anything else. So sometimes people say, what do Buddhists believe in? Well, we don't really do belief, Because belief is compulsion. So you don't to be, if you're compulsively Buddhist, you, you can't be compulsively Buddhist, really. <laughs> but people want to know what your compulsion is. So you must be Buddhist. It means you must be compulsively Buddhist That believes in Buddha and despises everything else and thinks it's right. No. Well, what what do you believe? What is your compulsion? They don't say it like that. uh, I don't believe views are worth holding on to. What? (laughs) (laughs) So we're not trying to be compulsively Buddhist. That's something that's, you know, it's a skillful means and as a a cultivation to arrive at that place in the jitta where you see through the shimmering veils, where you see them what they are, and you're not hung up about it, not even hung up about it appearing, just that. This is what we can see but then also what manifests the ability to cultivate that 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 place and dwell in it. This is where the grandeur, the power of the Buddha manifests. This is the one who knows the worlds, see it through it all, a great clear vision seeing through it all. You know? This is, this is the you know, you look in the first sutta, the Diginikaya, and there's people are arguing about there's sixty-four different kinds of views about the world. World is finite, infinite, neither finite nor infinite, somewhat finite, somewhat infinite. The self is in the world, the world is in the self, Self is somewhat in the world, half, you know, 64 different views about the nature of the world and the nature of the self. And the Buddha says, I've seen that one, I know where it goes, I let go of it. I've seen that view, I understand the the excitement of it, the lure of it, the danger of it, and I've relinquished it. This I've seen, I've gone beyond that. So he's seen that, Look how we do. And that sense of tremendous uh, freedom from views, beliefs, concoctions that the target has given up conceiving does not proliferate. Hmm? In the world of seeing and hearing and touching he does not conceive of a seer. Does not conceive himself as being someone who sees. He understands this is seeing,
1: this is hearing.
0: Does not conceive, does not create a seer, does not create a scene. Just know this is seeing, this is what seeing does. It does this. And the tremendous uh, compassion of the Buddha, you know, his own realization. And then the theme is that the overlord of the universe descends and kneels in front of the Buddha and says, please, teach out of Anukampa. And this is the recitation that's always given for the Dhamma talk, Anukampa. And it's really associated with moved, because you're moved by the suffering of beings. it means to stir or be moved. You're moved by it. You get it. You get where people are at. You get it that they suffer. You get it that they needn't suffer. You get it that you could bring something forth for them that would help them. You get it. And therefore you do it. And he did it. (laughs) Day and night. Uh, 45 years. That's not just an idea, that's practice, that's work. Uh. So, something very grand and boundless can arise when we cultivate this practice. Directly handling the mind, directly touching the place where the mind rises up and spins out, directly resting at the place where the mind rises up and spins out, directly enjoying lingering in the place where the mind rises and spins out, resting, stabilizing, understanding. So the grip of conviction, the grip of compulsion is broken, Mm. And then, you know, life is for the welfare. Life is lived for the welfare. This is what the jitta's nature is compassionate, when it's liberated from its fantasies. So, in our practice, today as every day, return to the the going forth. Remember, this is this uh, particular occasion which we are very, very fortunate, and not just fortunate, but it's been a lot of hard work establishing, sustaining, uh, giving ourselves to this situation, giving our efforts, giving our time, giving our energies to each other, bearing with, patiently accepting, guiding, supporting serving all that keeping this occasion present for the welfare for our welfare and for the welfare of the world can see this happens we're not in the game we're not playing games and we're not creating compulsions <laughs> this is no there's nobility here and uh, it's up to us to live up to that. So I offer this uh, reflection and uh, again extending my empathy and uh, for Rajiv in his going forth, in his Anagarika movement and every fruition may that be for him.